Question for you. Who are your favourite Doctor Who companions of all time? Right, easy one. K9, Sarah Jane Smith, Leela, and, well, obviously Ace. Ace is number one, right? That's why she's called Ace. Would you believe it if I said that Sophie Aldred, who played Ace in Doctor Who, has agreed to do a pitch meeting with us? No, I would not believe you. Of course, you haven't managed to get her. No. Well, she has. What do you mean she has? We're doing a big meeting with Sophie Aldred, who played Ace on Doctor Who. What? When? Time is relative. Well, what does that mean? What time are we doing it? Yesterday. What do you mean yesterday? Welcome to Big Meeting with Pete and Adrian. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate having you here. And it's a, it's a big thrill for us as well to have you in the room. Oh, I'm really excited. Uh, Adrian, can I just ask, why did you wear that weird tie for a meeting with someone as cool as Sophie? Oh, I think it's really nice. I love it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Very good. Thank in you. fact, yeah, Pete, why aren't you wearing one? That's what I want to ask. Mine is at the dry cleaners, but um, I did do a full Cyberman makeup uh, for today. Yes, I appreciate that. We've got some pitches for you. We worked really really hard on coming up with some ideas which we think you're going to love thank you so much by the way it's lovely that you know somebody would get in touch especially at a time like this and offer to pitch something to me just before we start sophie can i mention something that i've got on my kindle here mm. which is your book Oh, yeah. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about it before we start doing our pitches? Yeah, thank you very much. Yes, it's something that I was out of the blue contacted about doing. They said, oh, it's Ace's turn. And it's where Ace, my character, meets the 13th Doctor. It was a chance to explain a lot of what's been going on with Ace in the intervening years. I'm really delighted because it's done really well. They had to reprint it before it was actually published and people seem to be really enjoying it. So I love the cover. The cover's great. That's my favourite bit. Is that actually you as the silhouette? It's not, no. It's oh, some clever shame. graphic artist. We have these these pitches that we've been working on. We're very excited to to get them ready for you. We want feedback. We want we want to know what you think. You're the pro. You're the person who's got all the experience. Give it to us straight. Don't hold back. Yeah, sure. I will. Yes. Here's my first pitch to you. All of my pitches, I imagine Adrian might have done the same. All of my pitches have a role for you, a starring role. The first pitch is called The Roof Archives 2, New Roof Masters. Mm-hmm. When a huge champagne delivery blimp crashes outside Sophie Aldred's house and prevents her from attending a friend's wedding, she must leap across rooftops to get there on time, but unknowingly begins a parkour adventure. Starring Sophie Aldred, Grace Jones and Justin Bieber as the roof rascal. Right, okay. You know, I wouldn't need a, a stunt woman because I'm you know quite well known for having done all my own stunts. Yeah. So... I could actually leap across the rooftops. And do you think that you would be able to coach Grace Jones into doing that as well? Yeah, I mean, well, she's got quite long legs, I think. I mean, I've never seen her in real life. I have two concerns, I have to say. One of them is the name. So t tell me again, what's the, what's the name? It's called The Roof Archives 2, colon, New Roof Masters. Okay. I've, yeah, I think it's a bit long. Yes, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering whether you could actually just... Just the word roof springs to mind, though. Ooh. Roof. Roof. With an exclamation mark, maybe. Or a question mark, perhaps. 
yeah. <laughs> Question mark would be great. Yeah, it could be. Roof. What would be the hardest roof to jump on, do we think? Glass. Glass roof. That's extremely yeah. hard. Kew Gardens. Kew Gardens finale. Yeah, that would be hard. And you know what? I, I've got a vision in my head of the final roof run, which is very exciting. And you're kind of leaping between different roofs. And then the way that you get away is that you kind of do an extra big jump over kind of a rooftop swimming pool. And Justin Bieber, who is the enemy in all of this, doesn't realise that there's a swimming pool there. And he just goes straight in. Lovely. A, a wet Justin Bieber. He could do the song as well. Yeah, and then they could, then they, exactly. Then they could do a song. That'd be great. I mean, what, I mean, what, what movies don't end with a song? That was my other question, though, about Justin Bieber, because don't I wonder whether, and I hate to say this because you know, I, I, I don't want to sort of diss Justin Bieber in any way, shape, or form, but, but I'm thinking, um, isn't he a bit past it? Big meeting. We're going to move on to the uh, the next pitch. Part-time historian Glenn Broadbanks discovers that there is no record of pins and needles existing before 1950. Her research leads her to a terrifying discovery that pins and needles was in fact an unintended consequence of the advent of colour TV, but it's been covered up by major broadcasters ever since. The final scene sees Broadbanks on top of Alexandra Palace, using herself as a human lightning rod to finally destroy colour TV and rid the world of pins and needles forever. And Sophie, we'd like you to play Glenn Broadbanks. Wow, Glenn Broadbanks. Yeah, I like the name. Okay, well, we put a lot of, in fact, we put most of our thought just into the name, to be honest. Well, I can tell. No one likes pins and needles, do they? Pins and needles in your leg or in your arm. That's no fun. Oh, no, it's a nightmare. And, and there hasn't been a film, I, I might be wrong, there hasn't been a film about pins and needles before. I mean, we'll have to check, but but I don't think so. A side note, little side note here. People get pins and needles. Mm. You never see it happen in a film. Mm, that's true. Similarly, people very rarely say, I'm a bit hungry, let's have a snack, and things like that. There's little things in life that don't happen in films, no. so they should. And the big one for me is toilet. Because mm. when you think, I mean, my husband says I go to the toilet more than anyone he knows. So, But, you know, <laughs> I suppose it might get a bit boring when people have to nip off to the loo all the way through a film. But, but it would happen. It would happen. I mean, two characters are having an intense conversation and then one of them just has to leave for a few minutes and the screen is just the other person waiting and checking their phone while they're waiting for them to come back. Well, because that's real, you know, that's really saying it how it is. It's showing showing life as lived, really. So pins and needles, absolutely, yeah. And if there was a way to rid the world of pins and needles, I think this character, the way that we've written her anyway, would seize that opportunity. What if she had pins and needles through the whole story? Er. That, that would be a challenge for, for, for Sophie in terms of her physical movements, how you'd portray that on screen. Mm. Your entire body is constantly full of pins and needles. That would be a real challenge. Yeah, that would be really, yes, it would be, because you'd have to crouch a lot. The only problem with that, of course, is like the crouching position that might be difficult for the camera angles. Mm, that's true. Because, you know, I'd, I'd have to be kind of craning my neck up uh, I'm doing it now just to like, let me just see if I get down like this, I'm crouching now. Yeah. And I'd actually to, to get into the shot, I'd actually have to be, and that might affect me vocally as well, actually, because it's sort of like, I don't know that maybe, maybe I should just have periodic pins and needles. We could have someone on set whose job is to, 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 to make it more realistic. So you don't know when to 
expect the pins and needles. Someone on set has a little bell, and every time they ring it, it tells you which part of your body yeah. to imagine you have pins and needles in. Yes, although the bell might come out on the audio track. They could point to a part of their body, and, and that would mean, right, pins and needles in the arm or face. Or Do you get it in your face? You get those twitches, though. I've had one for the last couple of days, actually, in my left eyelid. Is there any way you could include that? into the tail as well. I, I think that's an excellent idea. Perhaps we could um, attach some sort of pieces of thread to different parts of your face and someone off screens could sort of tug on them to make it look like you were having a facial twitch perhaps. Uh, no? I think you're approaching the uh, problematic director kind of territory here. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay, fashion obsessive Sophie Aldred burns down her own birthday cake shop, but she does it with panache. That would be amazing. A birthday cake shop. My son's really good at birthday cakes, so he could do all the props, all the cakes. <laughs> Explosives. I mean, you know, I'm the expert. Great. Um, so, you know Galaxy Quest? Oh, yeah. Well, it's that, but it's with British TV stars, and there's no comedy. There's Sophie Aldred, David Suchet... Uh, some of the Thunderbirds and Martin from Homes Under the Hammer and Patricia Routledge. Uh, you got me at Thunderbirds. Let's go on to the next pitch. This one is called Drem de la Drem. Drem de la Drem. That sounds like uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> uh, Drem de la Drem. So that's like creme de la creme, right? But it's but it's Drem de la Drem. Yeah, clever. Um, <laughs> every night, John Hamm falls asleep and dreams that he is Sophie Aldred. And on the other side of the world, Sophie Aldred falls asleep and dreams that she is John Hamm. When they finally meet, they touch hands, immediately fall asleep, and both dream that they are Timothy Dalton. His message is to become one with nature, and the whole film is in French. <gasps> oh, my God. I mean, this is like, this is amazing. For a start, I just, I think John Hamm is amazing. I mean, it would be such an honour to be John Hamm. And also, I am so into nature. Great. You know, Timothy Dalton. Why Timothy Dalton? I just have to ask, is he an environmentalist? You know, is that something that is just like, it's going to require some acting? We haven't looked into that, actually. And we, and we should do. And you've, you've hit on a good point, which is that as with many of our pitches, we are su not suggesting that these are actors playing characters. We're suggesting that these are the actual actors playing themselves in the film so yeah we really need to make sure that uh, that um that tim tim as i like to call him tim. um yeah. is interested in these causes too um why him i mean favorite bond by far um and he's someone who i think would uh it, it has, because he's kind of now a elder statesman of you know um of British culture, you can imagine him being the kind of the voice of um, the voice of, of nature. Excuse me, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Excuse me, the voice of nature. So uh, we'll have to check. We love we love uh, nature too. We love environmental causes too. So that's where that's where this has come from. I wouldn't like to be kind of in any way identified with a project that didn't have real integrity, like with Timothy Dalton. If he turns out to kind of put pesticide on his garden or or anything like that, I would not be interested in working with him, really. Understood. Fair enough. Timothy, if you're listening to this, please email us and explain yourself. I'm just looking looking up details about um about Tim. Oh, great. Uh, it doesn't say. 
However, it does say that he is a uh, Man City supporter. I don't know if that helps at all. Actually, uh, yeah, Man City's okay. Okay. If it had been Man United, that would have been a problem because my husband is is from Liverpool and he's a Liverpool supporter, so he would actually have vetoed So that me would be a red line for you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Unfortunately. Having said that, I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, this is a secret, so don't tell him, but, you know, I actually did support Man United for a little bit. Well, because I was at Manchester University, right? So I went to Old Trafford once or twice and supported. <gasps> Although my heart has always been with Charlton Athletic. That's amazing. I did have some character notes here. And one of the notes was massive Man United supporter, just coincidentally. So I'll cross that out. Yeah, I... And maybe we'll, just, maybe we'll just leave football as the topic. Um... Well, you see, football is, is a really difficult one. Because, you know, if you say anything, you've alienated mm. half your audience you know it's true immediately and also the thing is the americans because of course let's face it uh once you're once you're thinking american market it's going to alienate that whole continent really although can i just say that we could the sections in which football is mentioned could be redubbed later and they could be talking about baseball um, That's incredible that you say that because I was about to say exactly the same thing, which is I, I would I would have a scene. Basically, the first scene would be your character just having a chat with someone in a cafe, and you would say, "I support <laughs> Liverpool in the football matches," and then we would just redub that for every market, and we'd also probably do one kind of neutral version and make up a scene like. I support Chelmchester Rovers, and then that could be the kind of the base one. Oh yes, uh, that would work for all markets. And then you would just dub, you know, snooker, uh, cricket, whatever you wanted, um, American football in there. Probably yeah. mostly snooker. Yeah, yeah, that sounds mostly like a really good. And the way that I could say the lines, I could do that sort of like that pause, like they do for you know, like you hear on the in the tube stations. So I could do, you know, I support. And leave a little pause, you know. That'd be perfect. That would really then, help with the edit. Thank you. Actually, what I could do is do a very like I could almost say the word like Liverpool like that. So I'm not moving <laughs> my lips. Then you could dub anything over the top, really, and it wouldn't look it would the lips, you know, because sometimes it looks like that. It's really weird. But if I just did it like that, that would probably be quite good. I think that would be that would be amazing. But also, I think Pete, you mentioned it might be a cafe scene. So perhaps it could be as you're taking a sip of uh, coffee or whatever. Yeah. So, well, I really yeah. like the sport of football. Yes. And then we could change it there. Great idea. Sophie Aldred misunderstands a routine email from the council and walks all the way to Hull on her hands. Hmm. Yes. Um, Hull's quite a long way. Um, yes. It would depend how many breaks, really, and how many kind of well, stopovers. I think definitely every night you could stop and sleep, if that if that's enough of a break, <laughs> do you think? Or... Sorry, I'm just, that's me just laughing. Uh, right. Every 12 hours, do we say? Mm, I think... Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I'd have to work up my hands to be quite calloused. The Feathered Prison. Mm. Uh, this is a Birds of a Feather slash Doctor Who crossover. 
The year is 1989 and the TARDIS materializes in Chigwell. Little do Ace and the Doctor suspect that the Master has regenerated and is living in this time under a false name, Dorian. It turns out that the whole of Birds of a Feather was actually the story of Time Lords Sharon and Tracy trying to keep the Master trapped in Dorian's body, but now the TARDIS offers a means of escape. Well, I, I, I'm speechless, basically. It's genius. <laughs> I, I, it's perfectly possible. That's that. I, yeah, I think that's well. That's l- let me let me give you my take on this kind of thing. Yeah. When when you're when you're in a, a film, it's never quite specified what the rules of the universe are and what TV shows exist or don't exist in that universe. And so, in my opinion, it must be that there are certain TV shows which are actually real mm. in that universe. Mm. Therefore, why why should it not be that you know that those characters exist in in the, and especially in a universe where the main characters are traveling between times and spaces and dimensions and um, you know I, I think it's uh, I think it's perfectly logical. Yes. Well, clearly, Ace watched Blue Peter. Yeah. With yes, we know that Peter badges, and in the first story that I did as the assistant, which was Remembrance of the Daleks, I was I, I walked into I walked out of a room just as they were saying on the telly, and now it's time for and then you never knew, but it was clearly meant to be weirdly Doctor Who, uh, the first episode of Doctor Who. So I completely agree. There is that that. Of course, all TV characters watch TV. Yeah. Because they're must TV, because otherwise, why would they be t- on TV exactly. like, if there's no TV? And the other thing we love is, um, I, you may, uh, this was something from our youth, which was uh, Inspector Gadget. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you may or may not know that he kind of walks around whistling his own theme tune which was always kind of made us laugh. And uh, I like the idea of characters whistling their own theme tunes because it's this weird meta kind of thing that's going on. So, for example, the, guy, the, the ladies from Birds of a Feather singing their own theme tune. Uh, eventually, Ace just starts <laughs> singing the Doctor Who theme tune from time to time. Yeah, and I, I could occasionally be in, uh, you know, I could come into a room and just sort of like be, you know, looking at stuff and looking around and just go, Maybe we could occasionally have one of the characters, you know, Sharon or whoever, like could be in the kitchen, you know, that the kitchen set. Yeah. And then just uh, be getting out pots and pans and could maybe beat out that from time to time on some pots and pans. And it would be like this sort of subtext going on. And that's how you know, that's how you'd find out that she was a Time Lord because nobody, if you were a normal sort of mortal within that world, you'd never have this meta understanding of the universe. uh, In fact, it might be worth looking back through all the episodes to see if that's actually been done. I was going to say exactly that, that that this was going to require... um, I'm sure there are some clues. I'm trying to quite quite piece together what this what this really means. But perhaps we could look back through all of the Birds of the Feather episodes and find potentially some clues that might lead us to believe that actually the Doctor and Ace were there mm. during the filming of these episodes. And I'm presuming the way we'd film it would be a sort of Back to the Future kind of thing, where you go back and you recreate exactly what happened with, I guess, the original cast, perhaps. Uh, with some de-aging technology in there. Yeah, and, um, yeah. And then you sort of, you know, while they're doing a key moment in Birds of a Feather, one of the one of the, one of of the the big scenes that everyone remembers, 
Ace is sort of sneaking around in the back of the house and trying not to make any noise. Yeah, she'd be kind of setting explosives up in the kitchen while they were in the living room or something. And what what I like about that is that, um, although it's funny because Sylvester and I are, um, Sylvester is like about, well, he says he's shrinking now, but he's he was five foot six and a dog end, he always used to say. Um and uh, and I'm five foot three, and people thought that we were a lot taller because obviously telly, you can't really tell how tall people are. But actually, he's quite small, and I'm quite small, so we could brilliantly fit into cupboards quite well. So ah. you know, we would, we could be like that. Could explain why we weren't in the scenes because we could be in the drinks cabinet or something like that. You know? I love, it. love it. Absolutely love it. And and the one uh, one further build I would say on this is that I reckon there must be some good outtakes from um, from Birds of a Feather, potentially with bits of set falling over or things like that. And what we could do is reuse some of those clips and say, just have someone sort of off screen saying, oh, that was Ace blowing something up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yes. Yeah. I I, th- I think this is. I mean, I this is this is my kind of magnum opus. This is my my the thing which I'm going to be you know, really putting a lot of work into writing over the next few years. So I'd be, we'd be thrilled to have you part of that project. I like it because it's sort of like a, it's a retro type idea, but it's right bang up to date as well. And I like what you say about the, the remind me of Birds of a Feather, is it? What will I do? That's right. Yeah. So we, you know, maybe that we could use some dialogue as well. Like, so have Ace saying things like it because she often says things like, Where are we? or Who are you? She could, uh, you know, in every episode, maybe she could like just say, What'll I do? That would be quite good. And, and, and one of the, no, hang on. It's a bit too meta. I was going to say one of the characters hears it, and therefore that's what the theme tune is. But that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So no, I love it. I love it. You know, the start, maybe maybe there's a conversation between the the, the Doctor and Ace where they're they're talking about passing. And she and, says, "Well, what'll I and do?" Ace is saying, "What'll I?" She she has, she has the whole speech. When I'm alone with only dreams of you, <gasps> we won't come through. What'll I do? And then and in the background, Sharon's been standing there. And then they, they sort of split off down their paths and they re- come back later on and you realise it's it's all been started off by a conversation between them now that, many years the, ago. The lyrics of that song are all about, am I right in thinking it's all about sort of friends parting uh, after childhood or something, is that right? So could it actually, yeah, could it be the moment that uh, Ace and Sylvester McCoy, Doctor Who, part, which we didn't see on screen, did we, Sophie? Oh, no. Um, that, that is when she gives this speech and behind, yes. behind the kitchen, in the kitchen cupboard. Yeah, and uh, uh, Pauline Quirk overhears it, and therefore writes the theme song to her own program. Perhaps, yeah, <laughs> love that's it. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a bit reminds me of the parting scene. Well, it wasn't a parting scene, but it turns out to be the last scene. And and uh, we had this brilliant monologue written for us, which was all about Sylvester says somewhere the sky's burning, and the and then he says. Uh, um, somewhere the tea's getting cold this is great look somewhere the tea's getting cold come on ace we've got work to do so the tea could be getting cold in the birds of a feather kitchen and maybe you see this is referring the whole speech is referring to the whole birds of a feather series so it could be like a double you know uh I don't know. It's it's really love it. 
It's really interesting. I, yeah. I, I don't know if this helps, but just to throw this in as a last thought, I share a birthday with one of them from Birds of a Feather, and I think it's Linda Robson. I don't know if that helps, right. but it might be an in. So we say, hey, yes. Linda, you know how your birthday is March 13th? Well, so is mine. Would you like to make a Doctor Who Birds of a Feather crossover? The small in. Well, you could also mention, because I have met them at some sort of charity do's. There was a uh, a toddlerthon many years ago that I took my uh, Adam, who's now 20, he was a toddler. So I, I, I did meet them and they're so, they are just so, so nice. You know, they are people, so I'm sure they'd be up for it. Brilliant. Amazing. Oh, they sang the song. Sorry, they sang the song. I didn't quite get that. Yeah. They sang that. Yes. Oh, okay. sang- well, I think you'd need to sing this one, Sophie, with your singing background as well, obviously. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I could do, I actually use my classical training as well, you know, so in, instead of just singing, you know, the like the normal way that we, I could do it like a sort of operatic aria oh. uh, type thing as well. Amazing. The sun is revealed as a hoax by accident during a routine government briefing. Scrambling to calm the public are sun expert Jay-Z and shadowy government agent Fairfax, played by Sophie Aldred. Wow. So now, do you mean the sun as in the sun that shines or the sun newspaper? It's funny you should say that because when I mentioned this one to my wife, she asked me the same question and I said, I'm going to let Sophie decide. Okay. Because, yeah, I I am not a fan of the sun newspaper. How about the real sun? Are you a fan of the real sun? I am a fan of the real sun. Okay. So it would have like, you know, uh, uh, it would have a different slant depending on which one we use. Perhaps both. Because without the sun, maybe the newspaper would never have been called the sun. Uh, gosh, this, I just, I wonder whether it might be just a bit too complicated. <laughs> Sophie Aldred, Tandy Newton and a very bad Audrey Hepburn impersonator ad-lib their way through a summer's eve. Oh, Tandy Newton. I mean, t- the opportunity to work with her would be incredible. Yeah, and I like this idea of, of a bad Audrey Hepburn impersonator. That's, there's, something ab- there's something about that that I th- is really appealing. Yeah. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to put your finger on what, isn't it? But it, but it yeah, does appeal. It very much is hard, but there is something in that. Yeah. A reboot of Doctor Who starring Sophie Aldred as the Doctor and Sylvester McCoy as Ace. I th- I like that. The only thing is I'm not sure whether Sylv would be happy oh. um, because with the best will in the world, he's pr- he probably wouldn't be able to do the stunts now. Ah. Um, he, did, he, he did ring me up a few years ago and he was doing a play in Glasgow and he had to jump through a window and he really went for it, not a real window, um, on stage. And he rang me up and he said, I I think I've done my last stunt. So, you know, he sort of said that to me. Um, and so that might be difficult, although perhaps we could have him on like a motorized scooter or something like that doing his own stunts. Oh, brilliant! Do you think do you, th- do you think he'd be good at bringing at, at playing Ace? I think he probably would actually, and I've got the jacket, so that's the bonus. Really, he could he could borrow the jacket. He'd be quite happy about that. Brilliant! And then, you know, and I'd be quite good at sort of just standing and 
looking mysterious and saying "ace" like that. Brilliant! I, I I think this is a winner. Now, if and if correct me if I'm wrong, Adrian, but I I in the the distant uh, reach of my memory, I believe you have a Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who figurine. I do from I when do. you were a kid. And what we could do is we could basically put that on a little bit of. Um, uh, fishing wire and just kind of a, a little leather jacket on it and just kind of swing it about a bit and do the stunts like that. Um, now, fine with me. I, I regret to say that I, I did not have, this is actually, I'm not even sure if I should say this, I did not have an ace figure, but my friend Craig did. Mm. And he also had the TARDIS. So I could call him up, get that out. So with zero production costs on that part of it. Yeah, that would be great. We'll still do the dynamite though. We'll do it at a safe distance, dynamite, throw a little toy. It'll be great. Sophie, you have been unbelievably helpful. Would you, uh, for two um, aspiring directors, screenwriters, um, whatever it is that we that we are here, um, do you have any general advice based on the, the things that you've heard today? I would say, yeah, just keep going, keep at it. Is really what I'd say. Just really, because the thing is, the more that you just go around, and you, the more that you're thinking, the more you're creating, that's what's going to really something will eventually stick if you throw enough mud at a wall something is gonna stick that's our motto we're gonna keep throwing yeah we're gonna keep throwing <laughs> sophie thank you so much for today it's been fantastic and we really really appreciate it oh it's such a pleasure and really good luck with your mud That was an excellent meeting. I think Sophie was a lovely, lovely person, clearly, but also really helpful with some of our ideas. She was ace. Oh, there it is. You know, the one thing that I thought was strange, though, Pete? What's that? You didn't sing her your a cappella remix of the Doctor Who theme tune, which I know you've been very keen to get out there publicly. Would you like to hear it now? I would. Doctor Who! more big meeting off of iTunes than that.